Have you ever been told this phrase that God has a plan for your life? Been told that before? Well, I've heard it in places like church, and I've especially heard these things in Christian graduation ceremonies, whether it be high school, colleges, and I've often I've seen passages like Jeremiah 29.11 be attached to it, where it says, you know, for I know the thoughts, sometimes plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. And, and it's kept generic to just say, hey, God has a plan for you. So is it true, though, that God does have a plan for your life? Oh, absolutely. Many times when the preacher or the speaker will say this, though, what do they mean by it? See, a lot of times they mean prosperity. A lot of pleasant things are coming your way. You're going to just going to snag that cool job. You're going to make a lot of money, get married, buy a big house. You got that nice, fast car, etc. But what if I told you this morning that often the plans that God has in your life includes hardships, pain, and suffering? Not a popular thing to say in front of a bunch of new graduates, let alone even in the pulpit nowadays. See, do you ever feel that sometimes things just never go according to plan? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm sure the Apostle Paul had the same mindset many times. See, in Acts chapter 9, we read about Paul's encounter with the Lord when he was on the road to Damascus. His plans were what? He was going to persecute the Christians. He was going to destroy the church. But God had something else in mind for Paul. See, God eventually then speaks to a believer at that Damascus name, Ananias, and he tells him to go to Paul. I want to read really quick Paul's, uh, Ananias' response. Acts 9, 13 through 16 says, Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard, many by many, I heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints in Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that, that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Now that sounds awesome. He's going to do some wonderful things for God, right? 16, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. See, notice again in verse 16, God's plans for Paul included suffering. It included hardships for his name's sake. See, Paul, being in prison in Rome because of preaching Jesus, however, while our plans change and often outside of our control, there are greater plans that God has in store for us, and we can be assured to trust him through it all. See, in this letter that we're about to read, we read about Paul's situation under Roman imprisonment as he writes to the church in Philippi. See, this is a church that he had close relations to, and he calls even his beloved and at the end of Acts 28, we see Paul is put under house arrest while he's awaiting his trial. This lasted, we see, two years. And it was during this time he wrote four books of our New Testament. Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, and here, Philippians. These are known as the prison epistles. See, ten years before writing this epistle here, Paul and Silas together ended up in Philippi, where we read about the conversion of Lydia and that jailer. And this is primarily a Gentile Aryan region, and it happens to also be the first church established in Europe. They are a thriving church now, and one Paul longs to see again. Let's start a reading our text now from Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. It says, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me 
have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add to my, my bonds, to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, and that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I want not. For I am straight betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with all your furtherance of joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be abundant in Jesus Christ, for by me coming to you again. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come to see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is them to an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to what? Suffer for his sakes, having the same conflict which ye saw in me, now here to be in me. Our Heavenly Father, we are so bountifully blessed, Lord, by your word and by your grace and your goodness and your presence here this morning. Just guide us, Lord, as we take an understanding of what you exactly meant by these words and how we can apply it and change our own lives, Lord. We love you and thank you for your grace and just help us, Lord, to be confident in you and just thrive in the strength, Lord, to basically make the most of wherever we are. We love you and thank you for everything you do in our, uh, in our life, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so I have titled this as Making the Most of Where You Are. And so we can take from the example of Paul and being said what he has here first. We must choose joy in our present circumstance. Notice I use the word choose. Verse 12 through 14 again. But I would, you should understand, brethren, the things which happen unto me fallen out rather into the furtherance of the gospel, that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and all other places. And many of the brethren, Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul here is he's answering some concerns that the Philippian church would have. Say Paul is currently, he's in prison. He's, he's under house arrest under Rome, Roman authority. And since he's in prison, would this raise concern by the churches whether if he could continue preaching or not? Absolutely, it raised that concern. Well, what about Paul? What about, what about his mission and all these things he was going to do? He assured them, though, in his situation that this has actually furthered the gospel. See, during this imprisonment, we have Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, and even Philemon that were written. And hypothetically speaking, if it weren't for Paul being in this prison, would we be reading from this book today? We wouldn't, or any other prison epistles. See, God knew exactly what he was doing in allowing Paul to be put in jail. 
He even promised in that, back in Acts that he would be a witness before kings. It is not yet until his Roman imprisonment he was appearing before Roman and Gentile kings. So I want you to think back at the time where you were just feeling that everything was falling apart, just you had bad catastrophe after another. And then as you come out of it, did you look back and see that God knew exactly what he was doing through it all? Absolutely. Some of you actually may even be feeling this way now. Nothing is going your way. You don't see how it can be any worse. No right. No good. There's no way good can be coming out of the situation. But what we can be assured, thinking with our head, is we can be assured by the Word of God, God does know exactly what He's doing. And He gives us two direct reasons here how His situation furthered the Gospel. First, He let His life be a witness to those around Him. This witness led to the conversion of many, even to some of the guards. And I can bet on that time he's in prison that Paul is not complaining or begging to be set free. But he was taking every opportunity to preach the gospel and to live in a manner of the gospel to everyone around him. Second, many Christians have even gained confidence in preaching the word boldly and fearlessly through the example that Paul is setting. His situation shows God can use any circumstance for his glory. And it also shows that joy in the Lord is a choice. We can actually have access to that same kind of joy that Paul had. He could have lived complaining. It's like, man, I'd really love to see you guys, but here they got me under house arrest. It's like, I can't leave. I don't know when I'm going to get out. It's like, well, if the Lord really wants me to preach, I'll just, he needs to let me out of prison. He could have had that, he could have had that mindset, but where he was, he couldn't control a situation, but he could control and fix his attitude. See, Paul considers even the motives to others preaching the gospel as he goes. He says, some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some, all, some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I there do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. So he says here, some preach Christ with the motive of envy and strife. See, these were bad intentions with the preaching. And these people looked at ministry, they looked at it as some kind of competition, some kind of elevation of themselves. Instead of making it about Christ, they wanted to advance their own name. See, at Lighthouse Baptist Church, we make it our goal and our passion that Christ has preeminence here. This isn't Pastor Dill ministry, Justin Curtis ministry. This is Christ's church. We live by his authority. This reminds me of a passage from Jeremiah 23-28. See, the prophet that hath a dream, let him tell a dream, and he that hath the word, let him speak my word faithfully. I want you to take note of this phrase and let it be like basically a phrase you remember. What is the shaft to the wheat? What is the shaft to the wheat, saith the Lord? See, Jeremiah at this time, he was distraught by all of these false prophets. They were speaking lies about what the Lord said and wanted. And God assured him that he knew it, and he was against it. Jeremiah, however, needed to continue being faithful in his calling, and God will be the one to sort this out. What is the shaft to the wheat? In other words, what's it to you? See, others preach Christ with good motive of will and love. These are good intentions. The proper motive for the preaching is for Christ to be glorified and him to have preeminence, never the preacher. So the shaft to the wheat, 
See, he's, he sees and understands that there's people out there doing things the wrong way and doing things with bad intention. But what if he makes that his focus and concern? His attention is now divided. See, think in your life, when you want to look around you, I personally had it in school, I was upset when I'd see people te- cheating on a Bible test. And I was like, are you kidding? Cheating on a Bible test. And it would discourage me. And I had a reminder of this passage, the pastor shared with me, what is the shaft to the wheat? Let God sort that out. Let, the, let it be the professor's deal. It's like, I need to focus on what God wants me to do. I don't have to get so caught up with the bad that others are doing. I don't know their intentions will be good or bad, but I need to focus on what God wants me to do. See, whether the motive for preaching was good or bad, he could still rejoice because Christ was preached regardless. See, Paul's concern here was not with the content of the gospel being preached, don't, don't misunderstand him, only with the motive those who preached. See, Paul objected if he thought a false or a distorted gospel was preached, even if from the best motives. Look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. It says, But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than which we have preached unto you, let him be what? Let him be accursed. In other words, let him be condemned to hell. It was absolutely a big deal to Paul if a false gospel was being preached. Don't let him just, don't misunderstand him. But the attitude can be summed up as this. If you preach the true gospel, I don't care what your motives are. If your motives are bad, God will be the one to deal with you. But the gospel is preached nevertheless. But if you preach a false gospel, and a lot of it is this nowadays, it's adding works to what Christ has already been established. The blood on the cross is more than enough to shed for our sins. Adding to that is to say what Christ did for me was not enough. That is a false gospel. I don't care how good your motives are. It is a danger, and you must stop preaching your false gospel, and good motives do never excuse a false message. Second, making the most. We must fix our perspective. Fix our perspective. Verse 19, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer in the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with that all the boldness as always, and now Christ all shall be magnified in the body, whether it be by my life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, Paul was confident during his imprisonment that it would turn to his salvation. Now, the salvation here is referring to a present deliverance, not this matter of being born again. Their prayer is not going to make him saved in that sense. Remember, the Bible teaches three aspects of salvation. Saved from sin's past, its penalty, its presence, its power, and then a future salvation we have, we're delivered from sin's presence. That's future. This is talking about a present deliverance he has. And this would be through the prayers of the Philippians and the power of the Spirit. It's amazing how God uses prayer. He's confident that his needs are being met and being fulfilled through the saints' prayers. And the provision was brought about by the prayers of the Philippines. The Philippians. Paul was confident he was in the will of God even during his imprisonment. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, he says. See, he had confidence that he was absolutely in the center of God's will and he knew God was not punishing him through this adversity that he was experiencing. And he says, whether he lives or dies, Christ will be magnified in his body. See, this imprisonment could indeed lead up to his martyrdom. And he was completely okay with that because Christ would be glorified no matter what. 
See, we do know from history that he survived this imprisonment because he was released after two years, but after his second imprisonment, he was beheaded by the order of Emperor Nero. And his death would mean what? He gets to be with the Lord. And Colossians, Paul also teaches us to have our affections set on the things above and not on earth. Colossians 3, if ye then be risen with Christ, if you're saved, if you're risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affection on things above, not on the things on earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ and God. See, this was his perspective between the life and death. I'll read it again. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet I shall choose I wot not. For I am in straight betwixt the two, having a desire to depart, to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all your furtherance of joy of faith. That your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for be by coming to you again. See, Paul knew if he lived, he would bear fruit. And he was straight betwixt. In other words, he is torn between the two things. See, he had a desire to leave this life and just be with Christ face to face once and for all. But he also knew that he had a mission, that he was needed here for his brothers and sisters in Christ. See, he states in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, that he would rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. When you leave this life someday, you do have a destination. You're either in the Lord's presence or against his, or away from his presence. And this is why it's far better to be with the Lord. First, going to heaven meant he would finally be done with sin and temptation and he'd get that new body, no longer having to deal with it. Second, going to heaven meant that he would see those brothers and sisters who had gone to heaven before him. And last, the best reason, going to heaven meant he would be even closer with Christ in a far better way than he's ever known before. But if he lived, it would be more needful for the churches around him. There were others that still needed him. While allowing for the possibility of his martyrdom, his expectation was to be spared this time to reunite with them. And as expected, it came to pass he did reunite with the Philippian church later and was later martyred in Rome. See, Paul's friendship with the Philippian believers was so close that he knew that he would be rejoicing both to see him again. See, he viewed his life as truly belonging as a servant to Christ. See, if Paul were to live, rejoice, because this means Paul gets to continue to preach the gospel and care for his brethren. And if Paul were to die, he would rejoice because he means he gets to be, he gets to be with Jesus. See, do you see how joyful the Christian life can actually be and how it really is? when your focus is on the Lord and your perspective is right, your life is ultimately a win-win. You are always living a win-win if you know the Lord as your Savior. If you depart from this life, you get to be with Jesus. If you're here, then He is still with you. Your life is a win-win. I get to preach the gospel. I get to enjoy the many blessings that God gives. Serve our youth group. I love leading the music. I, get to, I love being here at Lighthouse Baptist Church and serving. I get to live and spend my life raising a wonderful family with a beautiful wife. I've got two awesome kids. But most importantly, I get to live my life for Jesus. The perspective is key. Third, we must pursue the furtherance of the gospel in the manner that we live. Verse 27 through 28. Only let your conversation, that means the way of living, the manner of life, as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, 
and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is them to evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation, that of God. See, Paul here is exhorting the Philippian believers to only let their conversation or their conduct becometh the gospel, meaning to live in a manner that reflects and represents the gospel. So you believe that Christ died for you, rose again the third day for our sins, and that he is forever alive, and if you put your trust in him, you're going to heaven and you have eternal life. If you believe that way, live as if you're grateful. Live as if you are a true believer, that you follow Christ. Whether absent or in person, Paul desired to hear of their affairs, desired unity among them, and that Jesus would be shown by their actions. He desired them to be fearless in the face of their adversaries, because Paul knew just all the hardships and all the adversaries that were coming to him, they were coming to the churches. See, when Christians stand strong together against the intimidation against the world, the flesh and the devil, it shows their spiritual enemies that their ultimate destruction is certain. See, people, I've, been heard, I've heard a quote in the past, if Satan is reminding you of all of your past and all the things that you've done and how there's no way you're worthy of serving God, which is true, we're no way of worthy of serving God, that's what makes grace even more beautiful. Remind Satan of his future. Remind their destination. See, the Philippians' basis of having this confidence during that verse here in verse 29, for unto you is given the behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. See, just as the Philippians here have been given the behalf of Christ to believe in him, Christ, the, the gospel being brought to the Gentiles and extended to them, they're also been granted to suffer for his sake. Do you think it's just the Philippian church that's going to go through some hardships? We've seen many of them, together and individual. But suffering is to remind us that it doesn't mean that God abandons us. It gives us the opportunity to grow closer to God, to depend on Him. You learn to trust Him even more. See, their present difficulty was given to them not as a punishment, but as a tool in God's hands. You can either let it make you or you can let it break you. Having the same conflict which you saw in me, now here to be in me. They had that same kind of conflict Paul faced. Just as Paul would choose joy in the midst of the conflict, so could these believers that he's writing to. And so could you. You can let the hardships, you can let the mistakes break you, or you can let it mold you and continue to transform you to the one God wants you to be. See, God indeed has plans for your life. But many of those plans include hardships. But what those things do to your life is they grow you closer to God, as they're designed to do. He lets us go through it because he loves us. But the wonderful, wonderful part about going through the difficulties is he's with us. You get to understand God's true presence. See, the life of Paul is one that reflects God's goodness and the control in one's life. See, what some may have intended for evil, just as to Joseph, God intended for good. This surely was evident in Paul's imprisonment. It led to the salvation of soldiers and guards. It led to preachers becoming bolder to preach the gospel. It led to even the writing of many of the letters we read today. So what about you, though? You can dismiss this and just say, well, Paul is just a different breed. There, there is no way I'm anything like that guy. That's just That works for Paul. I just don't think that really works for me. What good can really come out of my circumstance? See, the same God who worked in Paul's life is the one who works in yours. First, you need to have your sin problem settled. The solution is the gospel itself. The gospel has been defined as the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins. And that if you would simply understand the gospel, put your trust, 
Rely on him, depend on him, put your trust in him to save you. He will do it. You will have eternal life. That's what the Bible teaches. And second, if you are saved already, good news. The choice is yours. God grants it to you how you can view and face your situations. Will you take it and leave it to the Lord and continue to move forward? So the Bible says that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are the called according to his purpose. If you know the Lord today, that's you. All things work together for good to them who love God and are the called according to his purpose. So you can trust God to work in you in, a ma- in no matter wherever you are. And you need to get used to be working on your hardships as opportunities. We can let it break us. Or we can let it make us in the one God's desiring us to be. So how are you going to make the most of your life or where you are? Well, first, you need to cho- choose joy in every present circumstance you have. Second, you need to have your perspective fixed. And third, recognize that your life is truly not yours. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, Paul says. In the life I now which live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, which died and gave himself for me. That's Galatians 2.20. You can choose to live your life, and you have that freedom to live your life another way. But if you want to make the most of where you are today, you want to make your most of joy living this life, I recommend you choose God and you repent and you go with him. He does love you and he does have good plans for you. It may not be what you think, but that's perfect because we know we have a God who knows much better than we do. Amen. Let's all pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for our time together. We thank you so much for the truth of the gospel. And Father, just help us to give us strength, Lord, to try to live in a manner, Lord, that's so that's consistent with it and reflects, you know, that what you truly have done in us, Lord, is real. That it's not just something that we believe or to believe, or it's just some kind of culture in America or some kind of tradition. But this truly is real, Lord. You are the true God, Lord, and you do love everyone in this world uh, so dearly, Lord. So, Father, we're not so good in that within ourselves, Lord. So we ask you to lift us up and just help us to apply uh, these words and this message, Lord, to our lives and how it can strengthen us, Lord, and ultimately how it can glorify you more and more. We love you and thank you for being God who never lets go of us in our life, no matter where we're at. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Win win. I kind of like that win win part. Let's stand together. He was going pretty fast. I had trouble keeping up part of the time. Sorry. And I keep up pretty good. But, uh,. No matter what comes, if you are walking in fellowship with the Lord, you've got to be saved first to do that, you know. Of course, you know that. But if uh, no matter what comes, he's going to turn it into a victory for you. Because that's who you are in Christ. That's who I am. I get to win. We're going to play pickleball at six, and I may not win. Like I said, I may not win. (laughs) Whatever the life has in store for me, it means whatever the Lord's plans are for me, I'm going to win. I've already won. I haven't fought all the battles yet, but I've already won. I look out across here, I see a lot of folks aren't here right now. 
But there's a whole lot of folks here. And we win. Whatever you're going through. Mary's got a heart procedure next week. And that's not fun to face. Some of you have faced it recently, including me. But you're going to win, Mary. It's a win-win. God says, I got this. I got this. No, it's better for us if you stay. And we're going to be asking the Lord to handle that for us. But uh, you already won. It's it's a victory. I don't know what how the Lord spoke into your heart today. Uh, but uh, this is the time that you respond to him. Uh, we're not keeping score of how many people come forward. But the Lord's keeping score about whether you respond to how he speaks to your heart. Amen? Amen. We're going to sing a verse of invitation. If you need to come and get some help, we'll be here to help you. If you need to talk to the Lord from right where you are, then you can do that.